week or two ago. So, uh, but anyways, it's been a. Uh, I feel like it's been an encouraging series to teach through. Uh, I feel like as as one of the pastors who's teaching through, I've been learning a lot myself, and, and I hope this morning continues to be um, the same the same thing that we've got a lot of feedback as well from people going, hey, there's some things to think about that I, I haven't thought about before, and and I hope that this morning might uh, be the same, but at the same time. This is the fourth part of the series here, and so um, we, uh, we're going to review where we've been, and then we're going to just kind of finish off here with try to bring things to a point, and it's a pretty specific point. And so uh, anyways, we're going to pray, and then we will jump into this here. So if you would, let's just bow our heads and pray one more time. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do just thank you again for for this day. Thank you that we are alive and kicking. Uh, thank you that we are together and able to worship you. And God, I just pray that as we as we look at some verses here, uh, that you would help us to hear from you. Um, God, we just pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts, no matter where we are at in our faith, in our journey of life here. And um, but God, I just ask you would give us each some things to to respond to, to be challenged by or encouraged by. God, you have an agenda, I believe, for each one of us. Help us to to respond to you in that. And we just tell you, we love you. Um, we ask these things in the gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with the. A quick, uh, quick review of where we've been here. So the series is called uh, "Is God," and really we've kind of uh, asked four questions related to to God. To, and we started off just the very first message was just called "Is God," and we even spelled it with a little g. Um, is God? It's kind of like, is there a God out there? Is that a reasonable conclusion to come to? And as you remember, we looked at three options is how we framed it. Um, either all that we know in life and this universe, that something came from nothing. And, and from nothing, everything that we now see exists. We talked about how that would be a, uh, just a, a logical contradiction from the very beginning. You know, nothing is nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. You know, we've reviewed that a few times now. The second thing we talked about is that something has always existed. And really there's two options in something that has always existed. That something is... Um, the first option is that something that's always existed. There's a camp that would say that something is something impersonal, something like hydrogen or energy or matter or star stuff, as Carl Sagan put in. Everything that we know in the universe began with that something that's always been. Those, uh, you know, hydrogen atoms uh, in a everlasting stream in the universe was one philosophy and through collisions and combinations and all the different conditions being right we went from that to to what we see around us now life and complexity and even in human life the personality and morality and volition the ability to make choices all of that came from from something impersonal like hydrogen the other option that we looked at was well, maybe it's actually something personal that a being, a personal being outside of time and space and matter brought the universe into existence and, and that would account for why we look around and we see personality, we see intelligence, we, we see morality that's been wired into us and um, we just made the case that it is reasonable, you know, and I just shared that I believe it is more reasonable to believe that option than any of the others that we reviewed. And then we went from there and Jeff took it to the question of, is God God? And, um, you know, that means is God, that God, that personal being who's out there who created this universe, is that God the God of the Bible? There's other religions, other belief systems that have a God that could have done something like this, but is it the God of the Bible? And he took us through what, what would we expect from a personal creative being like, like we talked about might have brought the universe into an existence. And he talked about that God should be able to do a few things, and one is that he should be able to communicate with us. Um, and that communication should be able to be personal, if he really is a personal being and creator should be able to be perfect. We would expect that creator who's outside of time and space to be able to transmit communication to us perfectly without contradiction. Jeff shared a lot about the, one of his points was the Bible is, is this amazing thing of unity and diversity in how there is this united message 
cut across 40 different authors and three different languages over a several thousand year time period and yet it is unified. It has one central message. And he also shared about prophecy. The, the God should be able to be personal to communicate with us and um, perfect and predictive or prophetic. That if he really existed outside of our little box of time and space and matter, that if he was outside of it, that he could tell you, you know, here's what's going to happen there. And when it played, it could play out in great detail and, um, and great accuracy. And that's exactly what he shared, a few things related to that. And so... Is God God? He made a case that it is reasonable to believe that there is a personal, powerful, creative being who is one and the same with the God of the Bible. Brad talked about last week, is God, that God of the Bible, is that God good? We look around us and we see pain and suffering and things broken all around us and who's to blame for that? And often people say God is to blame. Well, maybe there is a God of the Bible, but I don't want to have anything to do with Him because of the pain that I've experienced. And Brad just walked us through the beginning that God created everything, and when He was done creating it, He said it was very good. Even after He made human beings. You know, He could have said, whoops, there's where things went wrong. When He was done with all of that, He said it's very good. And He went on to discuss the first sin. Um, Adam and Eve and the temptation by the serpent and, and how from that choice to choose something independent of God sin has continued to propagate throughout the creation throughout our lives and, and, and ultimately uh, when we look around at the sin and suffering there's you know, the, the question is usually phrased, well, if there's pain, then, you know, either God is not loving because He allows it to happen or He's not powerful enough. But really, uh, Brad pointed us to the other option that's not considered in that question, but maybe the pain and suffering in this world has been caused by us, mankind. Maybe we started this planet and, and this life spinning out of control and, and we're responsible, not God. This morning we're going to look at the last question in this series here. And, um, and really that, that question is, um, has the God of the Bible, the God who we claim is good, the God who is personal and the creator, has the God of the Bible visited this planet? Really the question is, is Jesus God? And we're going to look at some of the claims and some of the evidence and I'm going to let you come to your own conclusion and decision on that. And ultimately, each of us needs to know that uh, whatever decision, conclusion we come to, um, you know, we will be, I believe, according to the Bible, we will give account for what we, um, you know, I've heard a phrase like this before, um, each one of us will give account to God for, for what we know and, and what we did with that. You know, there's things that some of us know that some other people might not know, but you will give account for what you know. And even more than that, I would go so far to say, God will hold every person accountable for what they could have known. We're going to look at some things today that I believe if you search it out, it gives some seriously compelling evidence for a creator, for a God who came into this world under the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe it gives some very compelling evidence for that. Um, but there's some people that say, you know, I, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to prophecy, schmophecy, you know, um, resurrection, whatever. Um, but I believe God will hold every one of us to account for what we could have known, but what we did not want to know. And I hope that this morning that you might just let some of these ideas, you might chew on them if you haven't before. And if you have, I hope they might encourage you and you might even take what you understand about these things to a deeper level, um, strengthening and encouraging your faith here. But I'm going to start off with a quote here that I, I feel like summarizes the claims of Christianity. And this is a very, very, I believe it's a very strong quote um, by J.B. Phillips here. And, and he makes... The claims of Christianity, real clear, and you might even say it's controversial, but but maybe uh, you know that's the way it would have to be. Um, let's listen to this. J.B. Phillips said this: he "said If New Testament Christianity is to reappear today with its power and joy and courage, men must recapture the basic conviction that this is a visited planet." 
not enough to express a formal belief in the incarnation or in the divinity of Christ. The staggering truth must be accepted afresh that in this vast, mysterious universe of which we are almost uh, an infinitesimal part, the great mystery whom we call God has visited our planet in person. It is from this conviction that there springs unconquerable certainty and and unquenchable faith and hope. It's not enough to believe theoretically that Jesus was both God and man. Not enough to admire, respect, and even worship Him. It's not enough to try to follow Him. The reason for the insufficiency of these things is that the modern intelligent mind, which has had its horizons widened in dozens of different ways, has got to be shocked afresh by the audacious central fact that, as a sober matter of history, God became one of us. If you're a Christian, you know... This is not like, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 3 here or something, but this summarizes the core belief of Christianity, that God created this world and that God has come into this world in person. This is a visited planet. And, um, you know, that that is a, a controversial claim. I, I, I hope not to offend you in that, but that is the claim of Christianity, and it is controversial because... Um, Well, you know, I think even more important is, it's a bold claim, it's a controversial claim, but I think more importantly than that, you and I need to answer, is it true? If it's true that you're living on a planet that has been visited by its creator and you will eventually give account to him, it's a really big deal. Then it should be controversial. If it's not true, who cares? Say la vie, do whatever you think. You make the choices, you account to yourself or whoever you want to when it's done, report to the stardust. Um, But if it's true, it should have profound implications on every life on this planet, everyone in this room. And so we want to look at, is it reasonable to believe that these claims are true, that Jesus is God and He did visit this planet? Um, And so... um, we're going to start, we're just going to take a look at some, you know, uh, I would start off with a few things that um, if you were trying to, um, if you were looking for God and what He, what you might expect if He walked on this planet, what are some things that you might expect? What are some things that you could reasonably look for? Well, I'm going to give you a, a couple of them. I'm going to give you three and then I'm going to give you two that are kind of like, three are kind of like a couple jab, jab, jab. And then the last two are like a knockout punch, I hope. Um, but uh, as you know, you may know, I've never done any boxing before. But I think this actor, where's Alan at? He's done some boxing before. Anyway, watch out for him. Um, but here's, here's the first one. If God came into this world, walked on this earth, I think it would be reasonable to expect that he would make himself known. He would claim that. And in Jesus we see that. Jesus, as a part of his life, as a part of his teaching, he claimed many times things that were equivalent and communicated oneness, one and the same with God. One of them, you know, is a classic one we know is in John 10 and verse 30. And, you know, Jesus was saying, I and the Father are one. And, you know, they, they went on, the Jews who were there picked up stones to stone him. And he asked, you know, for which of my miracles are you stoning me? And they, they said, basically, for, for none of these, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. It was clear to them he was making claims that he was God in the flesh. You know, and, and in their terminology, he was the Messiah who was predicted to come into the world as God in the flesh, the, the Savior who was to come, the King, uh, eternal. And... Um, and so, you know, that in and of itself, you go, well, if someone just claimed to be God, that's, is that enough proof to like, live and die on? Well, no, there's been a lot of people do that. But I would say the opposite is, is something to think about. If God came to this planet and He didn't say it was Him, you know, that would be a little bit... I think it would be a little bit shady, right? Yeah, He was here, He came, did His thing, left. Um, but, but even more so, if... if they made the claim like John the Baptist. They said, are you God? Are you the one who is to come, the Messiah? And he said, I am not. Um, you know, if Jesus would have been asked that, and he said, no, nope, that's the wrong guy. 
Well, you know, I, I think that would have obviously uh, been not good for his credibility. It wouldn't have been, he's not the one, but he made the claim that he was. And, and I think that's, a, that's something we would have expected. But more than that, um, the second thing we'll look at, some of these, you might recognize some of these from if you've done the outreach class before. These are really some of the credentials. Of, of Christ, of, of Him being God in the flesh. The first one is that He claimed it. And the second one is that the, the miracles that He performed. You know, at one point, Jesus Himself asserts that this should be something, uh, some evidence for you and for I, for the people He was talking to at the time. He said, you know, believe me when I say I and the Father are one, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. He's saying, look, you don't believe what I'm telling you here. Look at what I'm doing and try to figure out how in the world this is happening apart from being God in the flesh. And he, he, he uh, asserted that as a credential for being God in the flesh. You know, and he did things that were recorded at the time that they themselves said, we've never seen anything like this before. No one else is doing things like that. If God came to the planet and He's walking in a body like you and I, I would expect that this Creator that is timeless, um, that spoke things into creation, that He would be able to do a few things that are probably a little beyond what you and I could do. And, and that's what we see in the life of Jesus. That's what they recorded. He healed those who were you know, blind from birth. He raised Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead. Um, he did things that they had never seen before, but there are things that you go, hey, look, if, if God really walked this planet, that to me seems like it would be something we'd expect Him to do, to be able to do, to make Him someone beyond David Koresh, who claimed to be God in the flesh, but was not doing any miracles, anything like that at all, or whatsoever. Another thing we should ex- expect is that if God really walked on this planet, how do you think He would have lived? Like, if He was your roommate, do you think He would have been a good roommate or a bad roommate? You know, the point I'm trying to make is if God walked on this planet, a God who's perfect, the God of right and wrong who determines morality, I would expect that He would be able to live a perfect life, right? And again, that's what we see in the life of Jesus. At one point, he's speaking to those that, uh, you know, that have confronted him and are part of his audience. But he's saying, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? You know, basically, I think he was trying to get it. Hey, look, if I'm lying to you, show me where that's, you know, show me where I'm lying. Show me where that's a part of my life. But then he goes on to say, um, then why don't you believe me? And, and he was saying, um, you know, he lived a sinless life. Some of the other world religions and things out there, they don't make claims like these. Muhammad never claimed to be God. The Buddha never claimed to be God in the flesh. They never claimed to live perfect lives. Um, and their, their miracles were, you know, I think some of them that I've read of or heard of are a lot more questionable at best than what is recorded of Jesus. But, but they didn't claim any of these things, and Jesus did. And, you know, I just... I think if he was your roommate, you know, you could, you could say, like, if, if your roommate woke up one day and they start saying, hey, look, I think I'm God. I figured it out. And watch this, you know, I, I could do this miracle. Watch that paper levitate over there. And uh, well, what would be your one biggest case against them, probably? If they said, and obviously you know as my roommate, I'm perfect, right? Well, I think most, any of you have any perfect roommates out there? Besides yourself. No, no, of course not, you know. Um, but, but these guys followed Jesus around for three years, watching everything that he did. And if anyone would have said, there he did, he sinned again. He's so selfish. Or he stole, but you see, he just stole that piece of bread. No, there was no, no one can make any claims against him. He lived a sinless life. Those are some things that we should expect. But we're going to look at the, some of the last two things here, which I would say are... Um, the most compelling evidence uh, that we have on Jesus being God in the flesh. And in some ways, these two things, if you had to only pick two, I would pick these two things we're going to talk about next. In some ways, they're kind of like the double-barrel shotgun of Christianity. I don't know, you have to load it twice and I don't know. But, but anyways... Uh, it's like the one-two punch. It's the double-barrel shotgun. It's two pillars of the Christian faith. And, and those two things are... Um, one is prophecy again. Prophecy fulfilled that Jesus fulfilled 
about the Messiah who was to come. Fulfilled prophecy. And again, when Jeff talked several weeks ago, he just talked about, you know what? Other religions, they don't dabble in prophecy like the Bible does. The Bible not only dabbles in it, it is a major pillar in the foundation of Christianity. Because unless you are a God who can see things you're outside of time and space, there is no way to go, well, this is what's going to happen there. Much less if you had to, you know, tweak a few things to make it happen only... The Creator could do something like that. And that's why other religions, they, they don't mess with it. Sometimes I like to talk with Muslims out on campus and say, well, where's the prophecy in, in Islam? And you know what they do? They take the Bible and they say, well, Moses said this, and, uh, and we think that happened you know, to Muhammad or something like that. But they don't look to their own sacred scriptures because... Uh, that's a great claim, and that's hard to follow through on. You know, prophecy has to be, there's two things that, you know, real prophecy has, has to be. One is that the thing has to be said far enough in advance that someone can't just say, oh yeah, you know, you knew that was coming, you, you read the paper, they said that the stocks are going to drop, and so you predicted that. It has to be something done far enough in advance that you couldn't have been involved in bringing about that result. The other thing that prophecy has to be is that it has to be uh, specific enough in enough detail that you go, whoa, that's kind of interesting. You know, it can't be like like a fortune cookie, right? Fortune cookies, they predict the future, right? Um, today you will be alive, you know? Wow, how did they know, you know? You, you, you can't read a fortune cookie unless you're alive. Sometime in the future you might have a good day. Wow, it could be true. Um, you know, there, some of the things, if they're so vague in general, which others that do dabble in prophecy, you see some, some things that are so vague that you go, really? I mean, a lot of things could have been that. Um, or you see that if you look at the rest of the things that they say, you know, a lot of times they don't account for, yeah, you know, that one seemed real close. Um, but there was like 5,000 other things they were completely and totally wrong on. We throw that out and we go, here's a few things that seem like they're close. You know, the Bible doesn't work like that. To be a prophet, to have things recorded, it had to be in the case that when you spoke, if it did not happen, it proves right there that you were not a spokesperson for God and you were to be stoned, taken out of the profiting business, you know, especially if you weren't supposed to be in it. But, um, but anyways, um, that's, that's what we see in... in in the Bible, and specifically, you know, prophecy about the Messiah was basically God saying, Hey, look, I'm the Creator. I'm the God who's given you this book. And if you read this book, you'll see I'm going to visit your planet. And here's some things that you should look for. And there are, uh, depending on how you count them, over 300 specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled related to the one who was to come. Over 300 of them. Just said the statistics on, I think if it was, if you just pick seven or eight of them, statistically the chance that one person accidentally bumped into all those prophecies, they just kind of randomly came across this uh, address in time and space and history. The chance is one times ten to the seventeenth power. Just for fulfilling, I think it was eight of them. There's over 300 that Jesus fulfilled. Um, again, there's nothing else on the planet like this. We got to know that. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting I found as I was looking into this is that do you know that uh, Jesus Himself appealed to this credential many times about fulfilling prophecy, about um, things that He was fulfilling that were supposed to be when God visited the planet, what it would look like. And there's uh, several places like this that um, Jesus was speaking. Matthew 26, 56. It says. But all this, um, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all his disciples desert, deserted him. It was right before his crucifixion there. Um, another time he was speaking to his disciples after his resurrection and he said, um, How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Another place, some of you might have this one memorized, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You know, one time it was uh, pretty fascinating when Jesus, um, he, he, took a, he was in a, a group of people, he took out the scriptures, he asked for the scroll of Isaiah, and he started reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and uh, it says this in Luke 
chapter 4, verse 17, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And then he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's a pretty bold claim. And Jesus went right for the jugular. The one-two punch, he said, Look at the prophets. Look at me. It's no accident. It's not random. You're being visited by your Creator. That's some serious stuff. And, and I think it would be good for us to, to know how, how seriously Jesus took prophecy. I've kind of thought prophecy is a good thing. I've got a math minor, uh, you know, computer science degree. Prophecy, it makes sense to me. It resonates. It's kind of hard to do. Um, but, but more than I realize, Jesus himself says, hey, this is a big deal. And I'm going to make an appeal to you based on how I fulfilled these de- detailed predictions. Um, well now, it didn't just stop with Jesus. You know, if you look at the preaching of the apostles, his first disciples, when they started preaching about them, all this, and we see um, some different places here. Let's see. Um, you know, when Peter was first preaching, he said this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. It goes on to say, Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And he goes on to talk about them crucifying the Christ who was to come. And, and they appeal... Um, this one, Acts 10.43, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And over and over again, Acts 14, Acts 6, Acts 26, the, the apostles are saying, Hey look, those prophecies, Jesus fulfilled them, those prophecies. This is him right here. And I think we just have to catch that that's a bigger deal maybe than last time we checked. And for those that are trying to, you know, figure out their faith and is God out there or not, you know, in a way, it's hard to, you know, we don't want to be overconfident and be like, oh, you know, if you could just get it, you know. But in another way, we have to make people realize there's nothing else like this on the planet. Nothing. Nothing that's even in the same order of magnitude as the prophecy of the Bible that Jesus fulfilled. It's a very reasonable credential, I believe, to make a case that... Jesus is God. Um, another thing now that we can look at is uh, the other kind of the one-two punch. There's prophecy that he fulfilled, you know. And I would go, there's a bunch of uh, verses that I have here, Mark, that I can read to you on some of the specifics. I'll just maybe read you some of the, uh, the references and we can, you can look up the verse later. But some of them talk about, you know, when, when he comes, what is he going to be like? And you can read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, maybe 7 and 8 in the neighborhood there as well. Another question you can ask is, where? When he lands, where is he going to touch down first? Micah 5, 2, in Bethlehem. And you God could have picked out of all the planets, all the cities on the planet, the prestigious ones, the historic ones, he picked a city that's probably a thousand people or less where he would land where Jesus was born. Um, what would he be like? Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 6, talks about his, you know, he'd have a, a spirit about him that was a belt of righteousness and um, a fear of the Lord and these different things. You know, it just talks about his kindness, his character. You know, when you look at the description of him, he was not to be a Genghis Khan, a Napoleon, a Muhammad. The, the description of who you should look for Looked a lot more like, well, the description that was recorded of the life of Jesus. Um, And you could go on and on. You know, uh, there was Daniel 9, 25 and 26. It has some things talking about when. When would this guy appear? Really? Can you give me a hint of when? Well, um, maybe it's in hindsight, but Bible scholars look at the prophecy of Daniel 9, 25 and 26. And it talks about, hey, when this decree is issued to rebuild Jerusalem, it's going to be, you know, it uses this terminology of uh, 
62 sevens and seven sevens and you know but if you uh, you want to study that read it uh, I didn't have enough time to explain all the math here but there's kind of this prediction that if you look at it and you start with 44 BC when Artaxerxes issued a decree to rebuild Jerusalem and you start counting I think it's 483 years later it says that um, you should start looking for this guy the anointed one I mean, look, I'll just read real quickly what it says here. Um, know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end will come like a flood. And it continues like that. But it has four things here that were uh, four things that were predicted, three of them several hundred years in advance. This decree went out. And in this period of time later, which is, you know, if you count sevens being seven year periods and you use the Jewish calendar, there's some guys that do the math on this. And, and I buy it. When I, when I look at it, I go, okay. You know what? Some would say it gets so specific if you count from when that decree was issued that it comes down to the very day that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There he is. The very day. Then it goes on to say he will be cut off. But I thought he was supposed to reign forever. I thought he was supposed to bring in the kingdom. But it says here, he will be cut off. And we know Jesus was crucified, died and buried. But then it goes on to say, and then after that, the ruler of the people then, the Roman ruler, will destroy the city and the temple, the sanctuary. And we know in 70 AD, Titus came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and their temple. The temple has not been rebuilt since. How did Daniel know? Because his creator was speaking through him and told him, write this down. When Daniel got it, he didn't understand it. He wrote it down. He's like, this makes me sick and confused. I don't understand it. But it played out just like God had foretold. The Bible is full of things like that. Um, so, anyways, there's, there's just a few of them there. Again, you can find a number of good books, a number of resources. I know Josh McDowell has uh, evidence that demands a verdict, has quite a list of uh, these prophecies and how they were fulfilled. But the second thing we're going to look at here, and really the last thing, is that... Um, uh, so there's the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled, but the last thing was, the, the last one-two punch, maybe the knockout punch, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there's nothing else on this planet like prophecy that, uh, to the level that the Bible has, the resurrection is even beyond that as far as no one having anything like it. Um, and so um, we're going to look at the resurrection here real quick. Um, you know, I like some of these verses. I was just reading in the one-year Bible this last week, and there's one like Ephesians 2.20 that talks about the foundation of Christianity, but it says that it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. But it lists two things on the foundation of Christianity. The prophets and what they foretold would happen, and the apostles and what they would witness and record. And really the resurrection um, was, I think one of the most important facets about that is just the apostles recorded what they saw. Uh, We now have those documents as historical documents from what happened from that time. And just let's read a few things about this here. Um, I like this, uh, Josh McDowell has something here that he says as he was discussing, you know, he would travel around, some of you know he's an author and an uh, apologist, I think you'd call him, or apologizer maybe, no, I don't think that's it, um, apologist. And so, um, so one time someone asked him, uh, let's see if I find a question here. You know, he said this, a student at the University of Uruguay uh, said to me, Professor McDowell, why can't you refute Christianity? I answered for a very simple reason, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After more than 700 hours of studying this subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I came to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is either one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon people, or it is the most important fact of history. 
The resurrection issue takes the question, is Christianity valid out of the realm of philosophy and makes it a question of history? Does Christianity have a historically acceptable basis? Is sufficient evidence available to warrant belief in the resurrection? And he goes on to say with the rest of his book, an overwhelming yes. There is historical evidence for these claims about Jesus being God in the flesh here. Um, let's see here. You know, the apostles, when you think of the apostles, um, they were, well, you know, I don't know what apostles mean to you. Sometimes apostles are like one of those churchy words. You know, you got apostle uh, Peter and apostle John and um, Paul the apostle. You know, what does that mean? It's just a churchy word. But really, I think the essence of an apostle, we can see that in uh, Acts chapter 1 when they were trying to pick a replacement apostle, if you will, for Judas who had betrayed Jesus. And what were they looking for? Um... Well, Peter says this when they're looking. He quotes an Old Testament prophecy about having to replace this position of leadership. And he says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. You know, an apostle... Um, the word means something like literally like sent, but the essence of an apostle was they were someone who was there from the beginning of Jesus' ministry at John's baptism, through his life, through his death, and witnesses of his resurrection. They were witnesses. And all the accounts that we have in the New Testament are from the witnesses. You know, and in some ways, if you were going to try to take this case to, to trial, you know, and it'd be like, okay, let me call my next witness to the stand here, Peter. Peter, why don't you tell me about life with Jesus? Why don't you tell me what happened at that place called Golgotha? Why don't you tell me what happened on Easter Sunday morning? And we have the records of the witnesses. And, you know, it's an awesome record. It's a thorough record. It's the historical record that we have on that. And, and I think sometimes it's easy for us to get a little intimidated where people go, oh yeah, but it's the Bible. Yeah, but it, it has more manuscripts, more reliability as far as a historical document than anything else in that time period and before that. There's nothing else like it with um, so many manuscripts and copies and fragments and so many things like that. And, and we have to realize that's a, that's a big deal. And they were there. You know, here's some of the verses just on the witnesses here. Just, uh, I just did a, you can go to Bible Gateway, just do a search on witnesses. And here's a few. Um, Peter speaking here. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. He goes on to say another place. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. For uh, Acts 5.32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. Acts 10, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, and it goes on to talk about that. Um, Paul says at one point, uh, let's see, for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and they are now his witnesses to our people. You know, I like one of my favorite accounts of one of these witnesses is 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John 1, 1. Um, and here's, here's one of the witnesses writing, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. John is saying, we were there. We touched him. We ate with him. And we, we've recorded it so that you can have that same fellowship with Him. Um, so if you do a search on witnesses, the disciples appeal to that fact a lot. The other thing they, you know, as a witness, they testified. Do a search on testify and they're constantly saying, to which we have testified, to which we have testified. We, we are witnesses. And their lives, because of the resurrection and their uh, experience and you know, uh, observation of that and everything, that their lives were transformed. They went from being, um, you know, think of some of the, the people there. Think of Peter. Peter denied Jesus when he was about to be crucified. Um, he said, 
you know, I don't know him. I don't even know the guy. And it was something Jesus said, by the way, you know, this is what you're going to do, Peter. And uh, Thomas, Thomas was like, I don't believe it. He raised from the dead, prove it, show me. And, and Jesus showed himself to him. Uh, Paul was a persecutor. Saul was a persecutor of Christians. And his experience with the risen Lord turned him around. And so these guys went from chickens, from cowards, from those denying Jesus to eventually all of the apostles uh, were martyred. And, and the, you know, they were killed basically based on, hey, look, if you recant, if you say it didn't, it's not true, you didn't see it, we'll, we'll let you live. But they all took their testimony to the grave. Uh, they tried to kill the apostle John, boiling him in oil. He survived. You know, and he went on to write Revelation in, in prison there. But um, but they took their testimony to their graves, you know. They were pretty serious about it. And they weren't doing it like, well, you know, we heard about this guy and so we kind of believed that he did this. They died for what they knew to be true about Jesus, God in the flesh. And, and they had it recorded and they passed it on to us. And so those are some, some of the evidences. Again, he claimed to be God in the flesh. He performed miracles that you would expect from God. He, um, he led a sinless life. He fulfilled prophecy in a way that could only have been divinely orchestrated. And He overcame death. He rose from the dead like no one else but, but God. And really, rising from the dead was kind of the final exclamation point on it all. It was kind of like, I think the proof of what happened on Good Friday was that the sins of the world were, were uh, punished on Good Friday. In Jesus Christ, the sins of the world were punished there. But He rose again Sunday to prove it. To prove it all true. You know, if, if it happened on Good Friday and, oh yeah, He died for your sins, we'll just have to wait and see. Hope it turns out good. We'd all been, be in a wait and see mode here still today. But he, over, he overcame death and He said, it's all true, just like I said it would be. And He's got some things that, that are still to come here. And you know... Um, Really, you know, I've heard it said before that, that your belief, your response to the first visit of God to this planet, your response to that um, will, will forever determine your eternal destiny when He arrives on His second visit. When He comes back, whatever you believe, maybe you don't buy it. I don't buy that prophecy. I don't buy the resurrection. Whatever you believe about that when He returns will seal your eternal destiny. And... And when he returns, you know, right now you might say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian, I believe this, I need to tell more people about it now that I have a little more confidence uh, in, my, in my boots here. Um, or you might say, you know, I don't buy it, I'm trying to figure it out, I'm on the fence, I'm undecided, that's fine. There's some people out there that say, ain't no way, you know, I think it's more reasonable to believe that Jesus was a lunatic and he just thought he was God. I think it's more reasonable to believe that the disciples made this all up and they took it to their grave. There's people like that. But, but I'm hoping them, if you're undecided that you might you might chew on this you might take a good honest look at it because when Christ returns like he says he will uh, there'll be no more undecideds you see at that point when he returns he will be one of two things to every person he will be God in the flesh the Messiah who was rejected to have not received him in your lifetime is to ultimately made a choice to reject him or he will be the, the Lord and Savior of the world that you received, that you responded to, that you said, my Lord, my God. And to every person when He returns, they will fall in one or two camps. Right now you may be on the fence, that's okay. Give it a good hard look. You know, if this is the first uh, message you caught, I encourage you maybe to review um, parts 1, 2, and 3 and just see if there's some thoughts in there that you hadn't had before. Maybe some evidence that, that brings a little more credibility to the table than you thought Christianity had. Um, but also I just want to let you know, you know, if you're a Christian, you know, um, these disciples, they knew their mission. After Jesus rose from the dead, He gave them one clear and consistent mission. was take the message um, about the Savior having been here. Take that message, the good news about it, to the whole world. They felt like they believed they were under orders. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, that was their job, and, you know, we're, we're just kind of modern-day Christians. But Jesus kind of built into it. He said to them in Matthew 28, you know, He said, You teach them, teach everyone else out there to obey everything that I commanded you. Yeah, you were my apostles, my disciples. Everything I commanded you, teach them to obey that. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. You know, He's coming back, and... Um, 
He didn't come into this world just to uh, just to show off and be like, "Hey, it's God. How you doing? You know, nice to see you." Uh, he could have just kind of showed off and say, "Watch this. You know, watch this miracle, Shazam, and these other things." He could have made some money. You know, we see those movies about you've got some predictive ability. You kind of start betting and gambling. He could have made a lot of money. You know, gambling on chariot races or something. But um, but why did he come here? Why did he come to show off? You know, ultimately, he came here as a part of a rescue plan. You know, God knew from the beginning that sin would enter this world. God knew from the beginning that we would choose to rebel against Him and violate His eternal laws. You know, He created this world. He put some laws in place and and He gave us the opportunity to love Him or to reject Him. And He knew that it would come about that, that we would all violate His laws. We would all at one point or another defy our Creator, violating His laws, violating our relationship with the One who made us. And He knew that. And um, You know, God, God could have left us in that mess that Brad talked about. This world is a mess. There's broken things all around us. And God could have said, you made your bed, sleep in it. But you know, from the very beginning, He had a rescue plan. One of the things I love from prophecy is that there's those major ones about the when and the where and the who and the how. But you know, throughout the Scriptures, there's these little snippets here and there, these little threads of, of this bigger picture. Taken individually, they may not make sense, but when you put them all together, you see a picture that God has had a rescue plan from the beginning. I'm just going to close with one of them here. When we talked about last week, Brad shared about the fall of man, about Adam and Eve uh, being tempted by the serpent and how that played out. But God then gave punishments to the serpent and to the woman and to the man. And this is what he said back in the early chapters of the Bible. A little prophetic snippet right here. He says um, to, the, to the serpent, he says, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's this little thing that's built into there. You look at it and you go, what in the world are you talking about? But understanding prophecy and and things that Jesus fulfilled. You know, Jesus was um, really ultimately the seed of a woman. You know, all of us are ultimately from man, the seed of man. But Jesus, His Father was, His Heavenly Father, He was from the seed of a woman. And it says that from the seed of a woman, He will crush your head. He's saying this to the serpent and you will strike His heel. Strike His heel is kind of like a phrase of saying, hey look here serpent, you're going to sucker punch Him. When He comes, you're going to sucker punch Him. Just like what happened at the cross. Satan thought He had Jesus down. A sucker punch. And what happened, unfortunately, when he rose from the dead on, on Easter Sunday, realized it wasn't a done deal. And he goes on to say about the Christ, about that one who was to come, saying, He's going to crush your head. Yeah, you bruised his heel. He's going to crush your head. God had a rescue plan from the beginning that Jesus would come and he would die on the cross. You know, I think of. Um, Isaiah 53. And he says this, you know, this is several hundred years before Jesus hit the planet. But he says this of Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. God had a rescue plan from the beginning. He wasn't just coming into this world to show off. He's coming in this world to take on our punishment that we earned for sin. As God's eternal Son, He could take on our... We broke God's eternal laws. We've earned an eternal consequences. And Jesus came to take that on for us and to give us peace in exchange. And... You know, our hope here is that you know, maybe today you're still trying to figure it out. You're trying to go, you know, God, are you out there? I'm, I am trying to honestly figure it out. I encourage you. Like we did the very first week we, we started this series. If you're trying to figure it out, you might just give God a chance. You might just say, God, if you're out there, if you really are the Creator, would you show me something? Give me a sign. Something that speaks personally to me. Some of you might have been wrestling through this. You might have been chewing on some of these evidences uh, that there is a God out there and it is the God of the Bible and it is 
But God has showed Himself under one name, the name of Jesus Christ. And, and maybe today it's time to get right with Him. Maybe today it's time to say, uh, I have sinned against you, and I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again to prove it, and I invite you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Maybe that, this is your day. And others of you here, maybe you've done that before, or both of those before, but I encourage you just to, to pray that God would strengthen your faith, your confidence, your calling, that you've been given a mission. When Jesus rose from the dead, He gave all of His followers a mission. And it's, it's to take this good news to the ends of the earth until He comes back and make disciples and baptize them along the way. And maybe you need to realize if you call yourself a Christian, you're living on a visited planet, and God is coming back, and He's going to ask, ask you to give account for this mission. How are you doing on the mission? Have you gotten distracted? Have you forgotten that uh, this God has been here and He died for our sins and He rose from the grave to prove it and He's coming back to see what we've done with our lives, our thank offering to Him. And um, I encourage you, go home and pray today. Take some time and just pray wherever you're at and ask God to meet you in one of those three places. And I'm just going to close with prayer here now and we'll be done. Lord Jesus, um, we just thank you. Thank you that as God in the flesh, as God who came into this world, that we can even pray to you. God, the Mormons won't do that. That we can pray to you. Lord Jesus, we can pray to you because you are God. You're one with the Father. And uh, we just thank you that you came into this world. You didn't have to. You didn't have to experience this, the brokenness that we have brought about when we violated your laws, your design. We thank you that you came not only just to visit, but you came to take our punishment upon yourself. I thank you that you were punished in place of me. God, I know there's others in here that feel the same way. and um, We thank you that you gave us compelling evidence that no one else has. And I pray that you would help us to not live the rest of our lives knowing this and yet still live for ourselves that we would get on the, the mission that you called us to, the orders that you gave us, that we would do it out of love, but that we would do it. God, help us in that. God, if there's anyone on the fence, I do pray that you would um, show them something that would speak personally to them, Lord, in the middle of their life. You know what's going on. You know things are going well or things are painful or whatever it is. You know how to meet people personally. You are the personal creator who created us. And um, But God, we just thank you for this series. I pray you would help each one of us to continue to grow as your disciples. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming this morning and thanks for being a part of this series. And I hope we can catch you next Sunday as we we talk about... uh, Kind of some transition around here and joining forces with uh, with the Valley View Church. We're going to talk about that a little next Sunday. But thank you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week.